Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of JMU Civic at James Madison University. I'm Dr. Kara ong Lui, Associate Director here. There's a long history of athletes using their position to spotlight injustice and speak truth to power. In modern American sports, using that platform began really in 1883. Among some recent examples were Tommy Smith and John Carlos standing in the 1968 Olympic podium shoeless and their fists above their bowed heads to silently protest racial discrimination. In 2003, Tony Smith, a senior guard for the Manhattanville College women's basketball team, turned her back to the U.S. flag during the anthem to protest the U.S. war in Iraq. Cavaliers teammates LeBron James and Kyrie Irving were among several NBA players who wore I Can't Breathe t-shirts before their games on December 8, 2014. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick refused to stand for the national anthem before his preseason game debut against the Green Bay Packers on August 26, 2016. At the time, he said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. He also said, to me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. Most recently, NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace, who's 26, successfully pushed NASCAR to ban ban Confederate flags from events following the police killing of George Floyd. There have also been petitions and calls to rename sports teams, such as in Washington, D.C., and stadiums, such as at Florida State University. This episode features a conversation about the role and agency of athletes, teams, and athletic organizations in addressing racial injustice and systemic racism, and creating a more just and inclusive society and democracy. We have this conversation with Samaj Sarhando, who is a JMU football student athlete, Nikki Oppenheimer, who is a JMU women's basketball student athlete, Arthur Motes, who's a JMU alum and was a linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Arizona Cardinals, with Ta Frias, who is a JMU track and field head coach, with Mr. Jeff Bourne, who is director of athletics at James Madison University, and with Roger Sankson, the faculty athletic representative and a professor in JMU School of Media Arts and Design. So our first question is for all of you. Feel free to to jump in. Um, what does racial and social justice in athletics look like to you? Well, you know, for me, I think um, we're talking about just racism and social injustice in terms of athletics. A lot of times I associate it with fans and different people telling us to just stick to our sport, not use our platform, not to speak up. Um, a lot of times we're viewed as just a number, regardless of our sport, regardless of our just personal beings and things like that, the interesting things that we have going on. It's more so what you can do for me to entertain me, but I don't want you to challenge me and make me think about some of the nationalists that's been going on in America for decades. They don't want you to use your voice in that regard. So for me, that was always how I viewed it as, you know, just that that racism or that social injustice part when it comes to athletics. I agree with that. I think that because of our platform, we have a special opportunity to influence younger generations. And I think that it's important that we use that um to stand up for what we believe in and for what's right i want to echo that what nikki and and arthur both said i mean higher education is about education and it's about really carving a path for today that sets the stage for the rest of your life and it's also an example for everybody around us and i think the one thing that we never uh, ever underestimate is the power of what sport 
especially student athletes and coaches and the influence that they can have on those around us. And that's not just a responsibility, but it's something that we uh, take seriously. And I'm extremely proud of our student athletes and our coaches for how they handle themselves and the message that, that they carry on a daily basis. I think if you look at the athletic program, whether it's at JMU or across the nation, uh, you've got equal opportunity for individuals. They're all treated the same on the playing field, on the practice field. They're all asked to perform the same tasks. They all have the same opportunity to show what they have. And I think in society, that's not necessarily true. Uh, that indeed, I, I have a son who's 15, but because he's white, he's not gonna have the same experiences as a 15 year old African-American young man in our society or young woman. I think a person of color today understands that the treatment is not the same, that the opportunities are restricted. And that's why the athletic programs where individuals interact regardless of race, that are brothers and sisters on the playing field or on the courts together that are overcoming adversity hand in hand and forming friendships that literally last a lifetime is a, a great personification of what we need to achieve in our society. No, I agree with Roger 100% with that. And it's funny when you say that in terms of with sports and particularly the teams, we come from so many different backgrounds. I mean, me coming from the 757, I mean, where I'm from, my high school is predominantly minorities only. You get the JMU and it was so diverse, in particular when you're talking about the team, people from all over. And the one common goal is us winning a championship. So we all put our differences aside. And then through that, you become to get close. You become to form, like you said, that brotherhood. Or like you said, with the women's sports, you become a, a sisterhood and things like that. But it feels like outside of sports, there that's the disconnect in terms of trying to get everybody to get together for that same common goal, which should be everybody living a life of just happiness and, and having that equality feeling going, on, uh, going around with everyone. So that's the theme and with sports that we need to try to do and try to influence this not in sports, getting everybody together for a common goal. Yeah, and I want to um, add on to that. Just like the ability to have this panel right now, it shows that we're taking the initiative and social justice to being together as a community. And I will also like have had another black female athlete student here because I'm a, me as a black male athlete, I only have my perspective from a black man's perspective in this community, but they also have a lot stronger story that they can also tell themselves and they can advocate for a lot of things that they go through just as well as me as a um, black male. And uh, nonetheless, like just taking the initiative in this whole panel just shows how much we really care about social justice as a whole in JMU, how you're willing to hear us out as students and as athletes as we're trying to communicate to you and show you guys how we really care and how deeply we feel emotional about everything that's going on in society right now. So I really appreciate that. I think that sport gives us an opportunity to have a safe space, so to speak, in which multiple different types of people can come together, whether that's in competition, in play, um, just from coaches and athletes. You have so much diversity in sport. The problem is as we get off of the field, once we're out of sport, as Arthur was saying, um, that gets lost. Um, and to Nikki's point, um, we as athletes and coaches have a platform. Um, we're given an opportunity to be a lot more visible and to be within the community and in a certain context, be in that safe space within the community because the community 
opens athletes, uh, welcomes them with open arms. They want to have this humanistic feel with the athletes. Um, and I think sometimes when athletes decide to speak out against things that they see as wrong or maybe against the um, common flow of everyone's of the community thought, that's when it becomes problematic. And that's when we lose that humanity. That's when we lose that sense of touching and trying to care for that athlete in a way outside of sport. So if we look at sport as, yes, it's a perfect example of how we can all get along, we take that model and try to extend it beyond the playing field. We'll see that um, communication can be better and understanding can be there as long as it's rooted in the whole idea of humanity and that we are all trying to just have some type of equal presence in society itself. You know, one of the words I think of when I, well, I certainly think of it now given where we are as a nation and as a people, but um, it gets used occasionally, but it, it, we're having a hard time getting it to work and that is respect. Uh, do you respect the people around you? Do you respect their views? And will you take the time to listen? You know, I hope, I really do hope that as we go through this, this is a reformational type of change. Uh, we as a country and a nation, we've talked about it for a long time, a lot of talking about it, and we've made some strides. But I think when you go through what we've been through recently, it shows you how far we have to go. And the respect element, be it as a student athlete and a team member, whether it's coaching student athlete, administrators together. But once you leave that culture of higher education and you're out in, out in that world, respect for one another has got to continue. And when you look at the core of a lot of the issues that we're facing, it's not there anymore. People have lost that. So it's not an end all, but it is one of those words as I think through the myriad of things that will challenge us that's one of them. Um, it's it's it was brought up by by a few of you about this platform that that athletes have, and we're going to talk about some examples of that today. I, I want to start with Samaj and Nikki, and then and then move from there. Can can you speak to the role that athletes can have can have in making political statements? Um, how how does using your platform for social and racial justice? Um, how does that manifest itself? And then also, I'm curious to know how that affects team dynamics. Um, I think that, I mean, in terms of team dynamics, if we all not only have the one goal of believing in, you know, winning games, uh, winning competitions or championships, if we have like a common equality and um, goal for humanity, it kind of just brings us together even more because I don't see how a team can get along if something that they don't agree on is racism. Yeah, and to add on to that, like I too agree that a team has to be able to, you know, come together as one to have that cohesiveness together that they can be able to agree that racism is wrong because if one racial group or one ethnic group feels uncomfortable in the team, then how can we truly call each other a family? Because if we're taught that your last name's JMU and we're all supposed to, you know, fight for one team, fight for one banner, then how can we do if we're not even see each other as equals within our own, you know, within our own walls. So I think like right now, like our coach is giving us a platform to talk to everybody and speak out and speak up about everything that just goes to show how much they really care about how we feel about the whole oppression there that's going on as a whole for everybody. And that without it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to have what we are right now because 
if they would just like shut us down or tell us we can't do this and that, then that would cause you know internal conflict and it would when we wouldn't get anywhere together as a team. I think that it's especially important for teams um, or even institutions that have a predominantly white team to speak out and say what's wrong in in terms of racism and social injustice because I think that being able to show that there are um, a lot of people playing who are playing sports or who are coaching show that they also agree and see what is right and wrong that that really helps and is really important in my opinion. I, I being an educator, I think there's always that educational component. At JMU, we have student athletes not just from the United States but internationally. We have individuals from different economic socio groups. Um, being an older white professor, there is a lot I'm learning because of the social justice movement in the United States today. That's a sad thing to say at my age. Uh, I'm an individual who who really thought I was a highly educated person. And by athletes coming to the forefront and using their platform, I have learned so much from them. Stories that I have never heard of before that I would never even contemplate in terms of situations they found themselves in. And so right now, I feel like I'm back in the 1960s growing up again, uh, when I was energized, when uh, I was learning, and then I got complacent for some reason. I can't explain why, but I have been so impressed with athletes, whether it's on a professional, collegiate, or now I'm even seeing high school students come to the forefront and help educate. And that platform is so crucial to reach all age groups and all educational groups. We've got a question that came in from Facebook Live that I want to read. It's directed to you, Arthur. I'd love to hear Mr. Bourne and Ta speak about this as well. It comes to us from our friend Kathy Copeland. Um, the diversity that athletics allows is inspiring. Thanks for bringing that forward, Arthur. How can we move that inspiration into action? Um, I think the biggest way to move it into action is kind of like what Nikki and um, Samaj said. We all as a team, your minority and non-minority non athletes have to all decide to say, hey, man, we're going to do this together. We're going to speak out on this together because when only one group is the ones talking about it, it becomes less valuable. It doesn't look as if everybody is really all in on it. And we know with sports, when you're all in on a goal, that's how you're able to accomplish so much more. So when I think of just the situation we were in in the NFL when Kaepernick started nailing, I mean, half of the guys wanted to, half of the guys didn't. So because of the divisiveness amongst us as players, the, the, the narrative was able to get shifted and ultimately the impact wasn't felt the same way. Whereas now you look at how across the board, everybody understands what he was trying to accomplish. Everybody understands what, he was, what his goal was. And now it's very clear. And you see the type of impact he's had from a global standpoint. So I think that's the biggest way you could take what we're seeing from a team standpoint and actually start implementing that in communities. We all have to get on it together. It can't just be uh, women doing it, or it can't just be minorities doing it, or it can't just be non-minorities. It all has to be it has to be all of us together in this thing. I think that's a great point. I think when you see the dividing factor, it can kind of um, kill a cause, so to speak. I think um, Dr. Sankson, you made a great point. It's that complacency 
that it's seen as the general public. And as athletes, and the author made a good point about this earlier, they're seen to entertain and to bring in, um, take people escape from the world, so to speak. You know, and I think that's one of the things that's missing right now with COVID. We don't have sports, so everybody is definitely aware of everything that's going on. And as a result, there's this epiphany, this awakening. Now we're not distracted. We can really see what that is. And with that, I think sport allows us to, um, again, when we say use the platform, Kaepernick taking a knee at that time was quietly bringing out, this is an injustice. There's something here that's happening and it's affecting people of color. And because we weren't awakened, um, and I say we, and I don't mean we, <laughs> because Black people have been awakened about this. We, we see it day after day and all the time. Um, but I think that to the others, they were awakened because now we're not distracted by anything else. We can really see that, okay, this man was killed because somebody put a knee on his neck for over eight minutes. That's a problem. Um, and I think with that, you have this sense of we can do something about it. Collectively, we all agree that's not right. And when you have that collective viewpoint, you have that everybody have an understanding, then you can move forward. I think as long as sport creates a safe place for us to do that, um, within athletic departments, we create a safe space for our athletes to be able to do that. And then that extends into the university. We create a, a safe space in our university and it continues to go out into the community. It catches on like wildfire. And that's what we're seeing right now. Um, we all care about our student athletes. We all care about our teams. Um, and again, it's just putting that human face in JMU, putting that human face on each and every number and uniform, that's going to make the difference. And that's what a platform is. Everybody associates to that person. They love that person. And you use that to speak to a nation. Here tonight, we're doing it with the JMU nation, and hopefully that catches on and we speak to other nations as well. I would echo those same sentiments uh, as Ta. I think it, I think it is, and Arthur, the points are really well made. To me, as I look at this issue, I, I, I sort of liken back to other uh, things that have happened in our history uh, over time. And people talk about things that happen for a moment, and then steadily after a number of months, uh, it starts to fade away. Um, I think what we've got to commit ourselves to now and going forward is a continuing effort that's not just a month or a week or a year. It's a paradigm and change that's going to move into the future and stay with us. And it, we're accountable. We, administrators, um, coaches, we, it's, our, it's our charge to make sure that that mission continues and that we stay behind it. And I mean, I can say that as a white male, much like Roger. I mean, I came from a background where there were not a lot of diverse kids. It wasn't until I got into the university setting 30 years ago that, that I was finally exposed to a diverse culture of, of people. And you realize how rich and great it is once you get to know those folks. But from our standpoint, it's about creating change and it's, it's putting models and plans and commitments in place that go into our future and last, not just, not just something that we say or do for a short period of time. Samaj and Nikki, I'm curious when, when um, Colin Kaepernick was putting himself out there and taking a knee during the national anthem, 
um, and, and other players were beginning to join him. I'm curious if that's something when, when you all were playing sports, I'm assuming it was before you were at JMU, is that something you all spoke about with, with teammates when you were playing basketball and football respectively? Um, both the actual activity of being on the knee, but then also the what that meant. Um, I'm curious about your all's experience with that. From my experience, my standpoint, um, yes, I did talk with a lot of my my teammates and a lot of my associates, like my friends, about it. And from my from my perspective, I always saw it as, oh yeah, he's talking about police brutality. He even said it himself that he's talking about police brutality and other things that's injustice in the system. And then also had those people that also saw it from the other perspective of, oh, he's disrespecting the flag, he's disrespecting the nation, pick another way to um, protest it. And like back then when he first did it, I was so closed-minded on my thing because, you know, for somebody to tell me I'm wrong, of course I'm going to shut down the whole conversation right then and there. But as I got older, I realized that you have to be able to communicate with those people that's on the opposite side because if you walk around with one eye closed, you will never see clearly. So I had to open my mind so I can talk to those people and see how they feel and how they're coming. And now a lot of those people see that now, okay, Kaepernick was right. He was talking about police brutality and he wasn't disrespecting the flag. And then I also talked to those, and there's, there's still people that strongly believe that he's disrespecting the flag. And I learned that like, you know, you'll never be able to fully see eye to eye with somebody, but you, you still have to be able to take those conversations to, to be able to communicate with them, to at least try, I, I try to reach some form of compromise because it's, it's, sometimes it's not possible, sometimes it is possible. But nonetheless, back when I was, you know, I think my like my freshman, true freshman year, he he did it. And when I saw it, I saw the socks, I saw the police, I saw his, his meetings, and I, I I was like, okay, I don't understand how people can't see that he's talking about police brutality and like they say, oh, they want him to do a different protest. And I'm like, okay, everybody keeps saying do a different protest, but nobody's giving like no one's trying, trying to give an example or some sort of form of oh other, you know. He's using his platform. He's an NFL quarterback. At the time, he was a starting NFL quarterback, and he took a knee on a big stage where a lot of people would see him. So I don't understand what, what other panel, what other place would you want him to do it if that is the biggest stage that he can possibly do it. So that was where my confusion and my anger came from. But nonetheless, just talk to people and just communicate, and you got to be able to get the message across to them, or sometimes you won't. Nonetheless, just keep what his protest was. I feel like it was right. I mean, how else would you want him to do it? And until somebody give me another answer, I feel like what he did was perfectly fine. Not you, Nikki. Thank you. I I completely agree. I mean, he used the biggest platform that he had in order to raise awareness about something that's so wrong in our country. And I was in high school at the time, um, and I was injured, so I wasn't even playing my sport. But um, being being where I was. Um, I wasn't seeing anybody else kneeling and all I could, all everybody was saying was how he's disrespecting the flag and, you know, he should have done it another way, but how else is he supposed to do it? You know? Um, and I think the way he did it was in a respectful way because from the research on it that I did, he had consulted with a veteran and he was told that kneeling in the military is a sign of respect. Um, and so that's what he was doing. And in my opinion, the flag, it wasn't about the flag, you know, it was, it's about injustice and police brutality. And I don't think that the flag is representing what it wants to represent when we have so much inequality in, in America. And if it's saying that, um, like, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we're not getting that, you know? 
Sorry, go ahead, Arthur, please. I was going to say, um, Nick, you're absolutely right in terms of the research about Kaepernick in terms of why he chose to kneel, because initially he thought about sitting down and mm -hmm. the veteran told him that that was going to be disrespectful. Right. The thing that I realized when it comes to the protesting, people don't want to feel uncomfortable. When they feel uncomfortable, they want to tell you how you should respond, how you shouldn't respond. If me and, if me and Mr. Bourne are sitting here together, Mr. Bourne hits me, who is he to tell me that, hey, I shouldn't react in a certain way, I shouldn't cry, or I shouldn't strike, come back, or I shouldn't walk away? When you're a part of the oppressed, when you're trying to be that voice, when you're trying to stand up for those people, there is no right way to go about it. You do whatever it takes to get the attention. And when I think about Kaepernick taking a knee, I love the fact that it made people uncomfortable. You think when Rosa Parks sat on the bus that people weren't uncomfortable about that? You think when Martin Luther King and all those people were having the sit-ins that that wasn't uncomfortable? But it got the point across, it got their attention, and it got everybody to listen and ultimately sparked the change. And I think that's why sometimes when you look at some of the protests that were going on uh, recently, I mean, as a, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, they kind of get out of hand sometimes. But when you're trying to get your voice heard, when you're trying to just let people know you're fed up, there is no right or wrong way to go about doing it. The only thing that you can do after that happens is try to listen, try to understand, and ultimately try to come to a, an agreement or find a way to make everybody here feel better after that. But during the heat of the moment, when you're frustrated like that, there is no, hey, don't do this or, or react this way because that's not realistic. Um, I think a lot of that, though, we have to keep in mind that these aren't frivolous acts. These weren't things that, that people didn't think about to do with all the protests from, that we see from athletes and what they've done. It's been well thought out there was a, a very conscious decision for them to do that and understanding that as I make this decision, there are going to be ramifications. There are going to be consequences. It's not going to be a smooth ride. And so, you know, those athletes are willing to do that. I think that says a lot to understand um, how they're feeling in the sense that they're willing to risk it all, essentially. And that's what Kaepernick did. That's what a lot of these athletes are doing when they use their platform to make people feel uncomfortable. They're really risking a lot of their livelihood in, in many cases. And if we go back further enough, they're risking their lives. Um, so keeping that in mind that this is not some flippant response. This is a well thought out, it's calculated. It, it was um, vetted in their minds. And this was something that they're willing to do um, despite all the odds that may be stacked against them or the ramifications that may come after in the aftermath. Yeah, and just to add on what, um, what Nikki was saying, like, about how the flag is supposed to stand for um, equality, like, at the same time, a lot of people make the stand, oh, I have family members that fought in World War II. I have family members that fought in Vietnam. Okay, people of color minorities had a, the same thing. We have we have many all African-American battalions that fought in World War II and African-American battalions that fought in, in Vietnam. You know about this, you know, the red to see um, arrows and all those people. So, like, it's just like, when they went over to overseas to fight for equality for like the Jewish people against Hitler and um and fight against communism and um Vietnam, they came back home to no GI Bill. They came back home to no no VA Bill. They, that's why that's why like the systematic systemic suppression oppression is so high now because they didn't have the chance to get pushed up to the middle class. They didn't have the chances to to build a foundation for their families when they came back. Hell, some of them even came back and then got lynched and killed in their own military uniform because. People didn't like a black man being in the military, like a minority being in the military. So it's like when you say the flag stands for those soldiers in equality, you say it stands for those soldiers in equality, you have to take a look at the bigger picture. 
okay, yes, you have your relatives that fought in the war, but there's many African-Americans that have their relatives that fought and didn't come back and died for this country that didn't even treat them right, that wouldn't even let them use the same water fountain as them, that wouldn't even let them sit in the same restaurant as them, that wouldn't let them have the same loans, the same school system, the same abilities to get a job. So like you have to take look at the bigger picture. If you're gonna sit there and make a stand saying that the flag is equality and it stands for the soldiers that fought and died for this country, don't turn a blind eye to those who didn't get the fair treatment when they came back home. So that's why I say the kneeling for the flag had nothing to do with equality and and military wise, because if it did, then you would be just as outraged about all the, the many years of oppression that black people had to go and the center blocks that's putting our feet out the gate. That's why we have so much systemic oppression right now. These are all fantastic points, and this is an incredible conversation. So thank you all. Um, we, we have some comments coming in from Facebook, and I'm going to group one um, with a question that, that we had for you all. This one is from Ryan Alessi. Um, he also wanted to say really important, he, he wanted to thank you and say um, really important points from Samaj and Nikki. Um, as student athletes who already have a lot to balance, what specific ways would you like to see JMU and individual faculty members step up to support you? Um, and then I think more broadly for others, um, you know, as we're thinking about moving into action and trying to create uh, structural change uh, to dismantle racism and also to decolonize our, our institution, um, is there a policy here at JMU or in the NFL, Mr. Moat, um, that would help create a more inclusive athletic and campus experience? Um, and, and what would that be? Or what policies would you remove or change? Me personally, I think we should change, like, you know, I'm already advocating right now for on, you know, social media is the changes of the Confederate name buildings that are named at the people that were slave owners and slave traders. Because like, if we're like, like how NASCAR passed the law, you know, no more Confederate flag at their, you know, their events, why should we still have buildings with like Confederate name people? It is not that we're like erasing history or trying to rewrite history. We're not trying to do the same thing that oppressors already did, to, you know, for African cultures and indigenous cultures for so many years of slavery and oppression that they already had in those people. But like what we're trying to do is, it's okay that like you can, you can remember history without actually having to have to see it every single day. If you go to Germany, I guarantee you, you won't see statues erected from block to block of Nazis and, and Hitler just, just hanging around because they'll never, never want to forget. It's not that they don't want to forget. It's like, why do we have it? Why do we need the Confederate flag? Why do we need Robert E. Lee and all these other people that like wanted to keep slavery in a civil war a thing? Why do we need to have them around? So I need to, we need to pass that policy to, to like get that thing out of here, get it abolished, get it out like away. And like if anything, the Confederate flag is technically you know treason. Like they literally erected like, erected that flag against the American flag to have their own country and their own state. So I don't see how is not considered a terrorist group or some sort of act of like treason towards America. So they need to pass a policy that changes that, gets rid of all Confederate type names, monuments, or statues in, in America, or we will never be fully seen as equals. I think that in terms of um, athletics, that I think that authority figures should support their athletes if they choose to kneel in upcoming seasons. Um, I think that's important. And I also think that teams should have these active conversations. My team in specific, we've been having a lot of Zoom meetings and um, just like conversations about everything going on. And I think it's really important to talk about it. Um, but, but yeah, I think if, if athletes want to kneel, 
I think that our our administrators should support that. And now, um, from an NFL standpoint, they actually recently have started to make some policy changes. I was a part of it when, like I said, Kaepernick started kneeling. People didn't like that, the outlash. Obviously, when the president said what he said about us in particular, and they had implemented a policy that if we were to take a knee, we would be fine. They said we had to stay in the locker room or stand up. But recently, they've changed that, and now they've started to do more things from a financial standpoint to back some of these issues that we're trying to uh, – I guess that we're trying to combat on a, on a more local level and things like that. So that's where we are currently. But the, the thing is, like Nikki said, you just have to have the, the support from the coaches, from the organizations. I think that's the biggest thing. And when you see this panel right here, I mean, obviously with, with uh, Jeff Warren being the AD, the fact that he's supporting it is a huge, huge thing. Because like I said, during the NFL, during that time, there wasn't any support. In fact, I mean, I remember sitting in the room where the owner comes in and he tells us, I mean, verbatim, you're not going to be on this team if you're taking a knee. Like, you're going to need to stand up. This is how it has to be. So, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, that was real life. So we're glad that it's changing. But to see, like I said, Mr. Bourne up here supporting, to see the different faces and stuff like that, that that's huge. As a faculty member, um, I guess I can say this. The faculty move usually very slowly on things. I was very impressed that through student action, the petition to rename buildings, there was literally a tidal wave of departments and individual faculty members who signed on with other departments to indicate, indeed, this is an action long overdue, needs to be taken immediately. And I'm very impressed that President Alger came out and said he's going to call a special board meeting, that they're going to address the issue, and his recommendation is that, indeed, those buildings are going to be renamed. Well, they'll come up with some interim name and then spend a year in study and see what we need to do. But that was an incredible move. And I, I think it shows, and I want to say this to the student athletes, the power that you guys have, because you united initially, and it was a student energized action. And that's what we got to be very proud about when we talk about civic engagement here at JMU, that the students led the way, the faculty realized the students were right, and got behind and supported the students. And so to address Ryan, I think we need to continue that support, whether it's in classroom discussions where we might feel uncomfortable, but we've got to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. We've got to make sure this is a campus of inclusivity, that individuals can sit down and have the hard discussions and do it in a debate manifestation. Mr. Bourne. Oh, sorry, talk. No, um, also, correct me if I'm, <laughs> well, we're talking about what kind of policy that could be implemented. And Arthur, correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe that the NFL had a program for a while in which they included minority um, coaches or those who wanted to get into the NFL. It was a program that brought in specifically some minority coaches to mentor. And as a result from that program, we're seeing a lot, of more, a lot more Black male coaches in the NFL as a result. So if we look at policies that could be implemented implemented into the program, um, one could be really seeing that there's a need, one looking at our campus and seeing where the lack of diversity is and implement programs that can influx more diversity into those programs, whether they're through mentorships, whether they're through scholarship programs, whether they're through um, some type of shadowing that goes on campus. 
Um, but those are those are policies or programs that can be implemented that can really um, encourage change and increase diversity within the university and the campus as a whole. One of the things we committed to, I'm sorry, Nikki. No, you're fine. One of the things we've committed to going forward is, is uh, a deep engagement um, and a development of a long-term program for this with our student athletes. And within the next couple of weeks, they'll be getting the, the email to join uh, even further discussions with us as administrators, because I think it's very important to hear from the student athletes uh, and their perspective. I agree with Roger. Um, they, their voice is powerful. Um, and we need to find a way to make sure it moves beyond athletics and that it moves out to our constituency base. Because using that as a positive example for change and a learning opportunity, and I keep going back to that learning and educational piece, I think that's huge going forward for us. And when you've got a collective group of student athletes with the talent and, and the personalities that they have and what they can do going forward um, to help us see change, uh, it behooves us not to, not to take advantage of it. I was just going to say that um, going going off of um, Coach Ta's point, but I have been, I'm going on my um, third year here at JMU, and I haven't had a Black professor yet, um, and I was at another university before that night, and I have never had a Black professor, and, and I was thinking about that the other day, and I was, I was kind of just like put back, because the representation isn't isn't there um and then also i've been really trying to get my team in particular to register to vote and to push my coaches into making it kind of like a mandatory thing for our team to register to vote um and i've seen that there's an ncaa petition going around um trying to get a mandatory off day on november 3rd so that all the coaches all the athletes can go out and vote and I think that's really important. And I'm in a um, a CAA uh, kind of committee kind of on this whole diversity issue. And we've been pushing the CAA commissioner to um, consult with his, with his other administrators about making it a CAA-wide um, ban on practicing um, or competition on, on the third. So I'm just putting that out there for, for our institution that I think that that would voting is, is extremely important and, and not all, um, less than 50% of college students in general vote um, that are registered to or that are of age. Um, and I think that, that that's just a very, very important thing that we have to exercise our right to do. And I'm seeing a thumbs up from Mr. Bourne. Go ahead. I'm going to say, Nikki, yes, you're being heard. <laughs> That's great news. It, it did resonate. It did resonate downhill, by the way. The commissioner has called, and, and it's a thumbs up. Uh, I'd even sent a note to President Alger uh, from that, and I think he probably shared it with Abe. Yeah, that, I think that's a great opportunity, and uh, what better way to spend that day. I, mm -hmm. I agree totally, and we're working on that. So thanks for your work. Great. Awesome. Of course. Golden Retriever has weighed in. Um, I uh, there's a question that came in from um, Facebook Live, and I'll and I'll open this to anybody that would like to answer. Um, 
This is from Ethan Gardner. He asks, how does demographic differences between players of a sport and their audiences affect the impact of protests in the way they are perceived? Um, I think it, it affects them by being heard. If, if the demographic is of a popular um, thought and the athlete is protesting something against that thought, that athlete is sometimes left unheard because it goes against the grain. Sorry, Arthur, I didn't mean to. Oh, no, you were good. You were good. I think um, just a little bit when we were talking about the difference of demographics, a lot of times the experiences of what most of the athletes have experienced through their time of coming up, a lot of us being from the minority community, some of the, um, I guess, more impoverished areas and things like that, a lot of times the people that can afford to come to these games, especially at the professional level, they, they come from a different background. They come from a different upbringing. Their experiences are drastically different. So a lot of times it's a disconnect because they either are unaware of it or they don't think that could be reality. And I think that's something that when you're trying to have these conversations, it's important that both sides have an open ear to that because it's very different. I mean, Roger, like you said for a little bit, man, what you experienced growing up is drastically different than what I experienced growing up in my, some of the things that I've witnessed and things like that. If I were to tell you, you would say, man, this is crazy. And then for me, I'll be like, what, that's not normal. You haven't experienced that before. But those are some of the things that I think acts as a blocking aid in between that conversation sometimes between the athletes and the, the, the fans that are in that different demographic. Yeah, and just to add what um, Arthur said, like the difference in perspectives due to the demographics is going to cause that polarity because you'll never be able to fully understand what I'm going through from your lifestyle that you, you the upbringing that you had. And that causes the, um, the disconnect, like you said, because if people aren't willing to take the time to get to know me and understand why I feel the way I do and just believe that, oh, like whatever I'm saying is making them uncomfortable, then they choose to stay, un like they, everybody chooses to stay complacent and choose to stay in their bubble. And that causes people, like, when you feel a little bit of discomfort, you want you don't want any type of change. A lot of people don't like change. They don't like sudden changes or things that's going to affect them in a way that they're not used to. So when they see something that they're not used to and they have like, that bystander effect, because it's not, it's not affecting them directly, of course, they're going to feel some type of way. So that's why I would say for the demographic, for our fans out there that's watching our games, if you see us talking a certain way, you see us um, advocating for something, you see us pushing for something, instead of saying, oh, well, he doesn't need to be on the team anymore. He needs to be quiet. He needs to he needs to just shut up and play ball. See where I'm coming from. Try to understand me. Because how can you judge me if you don't even know me? Learn about me. Why do I feel this way? Learn about my upbringing. Learn about what I went through and what you went through and how we were on two different sides of the story and why I need you to understand where I'm coming from. And if people take that time out to just sit down and really get to know me or get to know anybody else who's really going through my situation or, or, or other oppression, then you'll learn that like from your, your standpoint, You'll, you'll, you'll understand why, oh, I'm advocating for this. And you have a better understanding. You'll be able to come around or at least try to come around better instead of just saying, oh, he's wrong. He needs to be quiet. He should play ball. So that's why I need for the fans to be in a different, um, different demographics. I, I hear you. And, and I've been posting like a lot on social media about um, just like resources and all the information that's out there, um, like what to do to help or, um, just like bringing awareness to, to what's going on. And I've, I've heard like from people like, be careful what you're posting. You have a lot of, you have a lot of, uh, you know, like fans following you or, or um, you don't want them to like, 
like I, I don't even know and and I'm like that's exactly why I should be posting all this stuff mm. because I have so many fans following me because there are little girls following me that want to play basketball growing up especially if they're from this area um which like my team is the majority of the players on my team are black but the majority of the fans that come to our games are are older white people from around here and I think that's why it's so important that we have to raise awareness and we have to um post on social media or and and like share our voices because we want them to change their perspectives and change what they've been taught like growing up or what they've experienced and and um that, that's why we have to use our platform to um to raise awareness and and show how everything going on is just so so wrong it's I spoke on the phone yesterday to Ta um, about the panel and, and um, you know, we discussed ways in which athletes have used their platform to do exactly what you all are saying, to, to, to raise awareness. Um, I like how Samash said, get, get to know me, get to know, you know, where I'm coming from. Um, at the same time, when athletes have done this, it has come with, with blowback, right? There's, there's risk, there's personal risk in doing that. And, and Arthur, I know that you played with Colin Kaepernick. Um, and, and so I'm wondering, Todd, Arthur, if you all could, could kind of speak to the potential blowback of when a student athlete or an athlete at the professional level does that. And then Roger, I'd be curious kind of where you are from a, from a free speech perspective. When it, when it comes to to athletes doing this. Yeah, so um, just talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation, we weren't teammates, but obviously I was playing in the league when he was taking the knee and things like that. And you talk about blowback. Um, I mean, where do you want to go? You Death threats, uh, hatred towards my wife on social media. Uh, they actually tried to burn down our facility. Actually, we had police uh, come out there and, and keep the protests from throwing flaming objects at our cars and things like that. It was, it was a crazy time, man. But ultimately, man, I thought that during that situation, not only did it awake some people in terms of showing them what's currently going on in terms of the, the social injustice and how minorities are, are not treated equally, but at the same time, it exposed a lot of people as well. People that you would assume are, are fair, you would assume value you for who you are. And then you would just see some of the things that they would say directly to me or just about anybody who was trying to stand up for the situation. And you could just tell, okay, this person is very lost and very confused mentally. And when you think about some of the things that they may have experienced, I'm like, man, whoever taught you this is just as lost as you are because now I'm seeing this come through you and you're speaking about this, that this is normal as if I should be you know, just the, the, the black guy who plays ball. And if I'm not, if I'm trying to use my platform, I'm the N-word. I mean, that's pretty much how I was received. And that's some of the blowback that we got. But ultimately, I look at it this way. If it's something that you truly value, if it's something that you feel strongly about, and, and it doesn't just have to be uh, in terms of minority rights and things like that. For, for women, you think about some of the women's rights. If it's something that you truly feel passionate about, who cares what the people are going to say? If, if you lose a fan, you know, because you're trying to stand up for something that's right, I guarantee you're going to get so many more fans that are going to be with you because they understand what you're trying to accomplish. And that's something that I had to deal with and something I had to learn because as, as I mean, just my temperament, I always want to make people happy. And even 
throughout my my time at JMU or even in the NFL, you like, all right, you wanna you don't want to ruffle too many feathers. You want to make sure that you're inclusive, keeping everybody involved. But it gets to a point where you're like, man, if I don't stand for this, then what is what does that say about me as a person? What does that say about me if I'm willing to turn a blind eye to this because I want to have more fans, I want to have more followers and things like that? And that was a decision I had to make, but ultimately I'm glad I did because I'm able to look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, I was a part of a change. I'm a part of something that's bigger than this. I'm going to save somebody's life. And, and when you think about it in that way, I think that'll help you and just help athletes in general overcome any potential fear they have for the blowback. I think for me, it's you have a moral compass. You have a center of what you know is right and what's wrong. And we all at some point come to that cross world where our compass is tested and we did have to decide on which direction we're going to take. Um, whenever you work for a company, wherever you work for an organization, you're branded, so to speak. You you have to be in lines with that corporation. You're branded by that, um, that environment that you're in, whether you work for there, whether you play for, for that corporation. And as a result, there is a certain um, contract that you have as a representative of that, um, of that brand. So sometimes you, you that's where your moral compass has to come in play. Am I representing myself to the brand that I am now a part of? Or is my belief in my core telling me I can no longer represent this brand because of what the brand stands for? And I think that we all as minorities especially face that a lot because as Arthur said, at a time when somebody is protesting and they're going against the grain, you hear a lot of why that person is, is shouldn't be saying anything. And then you wonder, we've lost the humanity with this person and we're just looking at um, not necessarily the brand itself, but the fact that we are feeling uncomfortable with this person stepping out against what everyone is saying. So the question becomes, how do you represent your brand with integrity? How do you keep your moral compass um, intact and make sure that you can sleep at night with the decisions that you make and uh, as you guide your team or as you play for your team or as you represent your organization? And I always tell my athletes, you know, I support you guys. I will always support you. However, you may not be supported by the organization. You may not be supported by the brand. And you really need to, like I said, when these athletes protest, it's not just out of a flippant response. It's, it's very calculated. It's very well thought out. And I just I really challenge my athletes to, to really think about it. Think about what you're doing. Think about how that is important and understand and it's hard for kids, and I say kids because I'm getting older, but it's hard for the younger people to understand that because everything is so instantaneous, right? You put a post, you get the likes, you get it right away. If you don't get those likes within a certain amount of time frame, then it's not important. So everything is so instantaneous. And when we do things now, we want to have an immediate response. And so as a result, I try to really teach my athletes, if you're going to make that stance, understand you may not get the response that you want. Um, you may not get the support that you're asking for, but is it worth it to you? And if you, at the end of it all, you say, yes, this is worth it. This is what I stand for. Then you have my support. Um, and I think that's important. And I think that's something that we all face at some time, whether we're um, in athletics or where we're not, say we're just in the corporate background. I think you saw that a lot with the Facebook employees um, and how they felt what they felt like the leadership of the company was not going in the direction of what they thought they stood for, and they were willing to speak out for that. So I think that whenever you do have a protest, whenever you do have somebody speak up, 
they're thinking, I know this is against the grain. I know this is not a popular thought. There will be some serious consequences as a result. And if they choose to speak out anyway, then we should listen because they're putting things on the line that, and they're putting themselves out there in a way that at least if anything else, we deserve to, to listen to what they have to say and put ourselves in their shoes. Well, Abe, let me address how the First Amendment all plays into this. Um, as everyone knows, it starts off with Congress shall make no law. So it's a governmental entity in terms of not restricting freedom of speech. And freedom of speech is very powerful. Freedom of assembly is very, very powerful entity. So if I am in a private college or institution, I don't have the same First Amendment rights as I have at a public institution. If I work for a corporation, that corporation does not have to guarantee me First Amendment rights under the First Amendment because the First Amendment doesn't apply. So here we are at a public institution. Um, our student athletes have the exact same freedom of speech as any student at any public institution across the United States. Uh, like other institutions, JMU has a, a student handbook we talk about regulation of speech in terms of time, place, and manner regulations, but we don't restrict it in terms of content. So our students can speak out. And because I'm, I'm taking offense to, I'm the oldest one here, so you're young in comparison. Um, JMU has a Martin Luther King celebration because of student action, because of a, a demonstration that they walked around the quad and they drew attention and they put pressure on the administration to say, this is important to celebrate the nonviolent protest and the changes and giving of his life for a cause of Martin Luther King. So that change was implemented because of students exercising their First Amendment rights, drawing attention to something obvious. And I, I always like to say, uh, something I, I requote Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was asked, if you lost all your amendments, but all your freedoms but one, which freedom in, guaranteed in the Constitution would you want to protect? He said, I want the First Amendment. Because if I have freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, I can recover all my other rights, all my other freedoms. And so the students are doing exactly everything that our forefathers had talked about. That we can go to philosophers of Milton and Mills, the uniting in common, pointing out a wrong that has been embraced by a majority of the individuals. Majorities can be wrong. You know, I think that sometimes we forget that sometimes minority action is very crucial to readjust our thinking, to challenge our thinking, to say, why are you doing that? It just doesn't make sense to us. And then when you have to justify it, suddenly you realize, oh, wow, this idea really has lost its meaning, has lost its power. So in terms of where we stand with our student athletes, we're gifted, we're at a, a public institution, we embrace the First Amendment, father of the Constitution, and this institution is named after. So we're very fortunate that our students are utilizing that. And I, again, I wanna echo what Arthur and Todd says, there are unfortunately consequences. Those consequences are both short-term and long-term, and they affect individuals around you as well. So you can have, be right, exercise your First Amendment, but suffer grave consequences because of it. So Nikki and Samaj, I'm curious as, as student athletes uh, with this platform, how do you all wanna be supported 
by your coaches, by the administration, and by the institution at JMU. Um, just how they're doing now. I want you to keep, you know, an open mind, this open door policy that allows us to speak up and speak out to just everybody that wants to hear us, that wants to be educated, that wants to learn something new about why we do what we do. And just keep supporting us, have those meetings with us on Zoom, um, bring it to attention, you know, give it the, you know, overall views that it needs and just allow us as student athletes to be able to just keep doing what we're doing you know, talking to people, having those conversations, you know, getting the communication out there to those and just don't stop, you know, just keep your foot on the gas with it. Keep, you keep letting us have this initiative to give the press because we have the, we have the panel. You have the high schoolers and future Dukes that are looking at us to see how we're handling things that's going on in our society and see if, if this school, it has the social community that they want to go into. So they look at us first because we have, we, we draw a big crowd. We draw that big community towards JMU and to allow us to be able to speak up for those who might feel the same way as us, it gives them that safe, that safe veil that makes them feel like, yes, I can go to Jamie, I can, I can do this, I can, I can be around those people because they understand where I'm coming from. And as long as they keep doing that for us, I don't that that that'd be a great thing. Nikki, I I completely agree. And and going off the last thing you said about having uh, younger people wanting to be like, okay, they stand for what I stand for. I want to go there. I don't think that we if somebody didn't stand for the same things we stood for if they had a problem with with our university speaking out on this we we wouldn't want them to come here you know um so i think that that is that exactly what samaj said keeping the conversation going educating um, each other and yourselves and, and 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 standing behind us a question came in from Facebook that's related to this. Mr. Bourne, it's directed toward you as the um, athletic director. Um, it comes from Kristen Lee. Um, are our advisors trained to engage in direct conversations with student athletes about racism on campus? We obviously have a, uh, a fairly in-depth um, educational component that, that our staff goes through. To say that we have something specifically geared toward racism, I'm not aware that it's specifically geared toward that. I do think it's part of the dialogue that we've started in the last couple of weeks of saying, what are we gonna do going forward? How, how are we gonna educate one another? Um, and what does that need to look like in the, uh, in the years ahead? And then I think a big part of it is going to be the feedback that we get from the staff and from our student athletes, because not just now, but I think that has to be an evolving type of educational process, because um, it could be that, that the issue, the issue will, will, will still be foundationally something we're going to wrestle with here in the short term and going into the future. But it could be that the way people look at it or the way they interpret it ends up being different. You know, what about student athletes that come in five years from now that hopefully have been under a better process and a better lens and they understand more, how's that gonna to compare to where these student athletes that we have today find themselves? We all hope it's a lot better situation, but we'll wanna be able to refine and move that way. 
But to we say were, specifically, we don't have, we, I'm not aware of anything specific on that. I'll, I'll yield to Roger maybe uh, as well from, the, from his standpoint. Yeah, campus-wide, there is not specific training done even for the faculty members who come on board. Uh, now, I will have to say, since the pandemic sat, sat in and the summers kicked in, uh, I know my department, the School of Media Arts and Design, has had extra meetings to sit down and, and discuss when we get everyone together, how can we be better professors given the changing climate that's occurring. Uh, so we're already starting to look at reading lists. We're looking at materials to gather to share with one another, and we'll probably spend departmental time going. But again, the athletic department, I think, has been fairly proactive in saying we are going to, at this particular point, already start planning. Uh, we've given up uh, several meetings already in terms of preparation for training, how to prepare ourselves the best so that we can do the best possible job. We're completely ineffective. If Samaj or Nikki doesn't feel they can come into my office and sit down and have a discussion, I'm worthless as a faculty athletic rep. Uh, my, my faculty position has been compromised. I need to be prepared for those discussions. And I think like any good academic part of the process is educating myself, sitting down with other educators and getting together so that we are better prepared. Is it gonna be perfect? No. Are we gonna say things that are stupid and dumb and we're gonna apologize after we say something? Yes, because we're human beings, but we're making the effort. And that's one thing I can say to everybody, we are making the effort at JMU. When, when, when we first dreamed up having this conversation, it was actually about three or four weeks ago when we on, on um, social media saw the statement that Mr. Bourne put out um, and we were so moved by it and said, you know what, we need to have a conversation on athletics and, and really um, thinking about ways in which, in which athletes and athletics can help us to create a more inclusive society and democracy. So I was really excited by, by what came out of it. And then that's only been doubled down on by the partnership we've got from the athletic department to, to convene this conversation. And so I, I agree, Roger, it seems like there's so much work that, that does need to be, to be done, um, but I appreciate that the athletic department is, is putting um, both feet forward on, on these questions, um, but it seems like there's a, a lot of hard work ahead of us. And I think to to uh, Samaj's point from when we first started, I really think that as you guys go through that process and as you um, are really peeling back the layers and looking at it, that you include black voices in those decisions and be a part of that process. Um, I think you can't have a procedure or policy put down and you haven't had any input, input from the black voice. I think you definitely need to keep that in mind. Otherwise, you're just gonna keep missing the boat each time. Um, you think that you're doing something great, but if you don't have a voice there or input there, then you're always gonna miss it, miss the mark. So including black voices on those processes as you look through it, as you peel back the layers, is gonna definitely help and you guys move forward. We definitely are going to do that. I think, Kyle, you know, we've, we've had peripheral conversations the last couple of days about what does that, what does that initial format look like? And I think initially it's literally about just listening. 
We need to listen. We need to hear the other points of view. And we need to become better educated to Roger's point so that we are informed. And I think that with the commitment going forward and engagement from a diverse group, I'm honestly excited about where we can go and what we can do. Uh, everything that we've committed ourselves to as a program and in, as an institution, especially the athletic program, we achieve results at a high level. And there is no reason whatsoever why we can't do the exact same thing with this. And when you were playing in the NFL, did you feel like um, players' voices and, and black voices were part of the policy making um, and, and governance of the NFL? Can you speak to your experience with that? Yeah, um, to an extent, they would include us, but it always came off as just a box being checked and not really, I want to value your opinion and really hear you speak up and have a I mean, when you think about just the NFL, I mean, 80, 90% of it is made up of minority in terms of the athletes. Right. But when it came time to really hear our voice in terms of how we felt about some of these things that they wanted to implement, we weren't being included in that. And a lot of times they would just stick with coaches. They would stick with ownership and general managers and such. And when you look at the amount of minority coaches, I think it's what, five total right now? So it's not a lot. And we weren't really properly represented. And that's something that we obviously we're talking about up here, just in terms of when you're making changes, if you're not communicating with the minorities, if you're not including them in there, you will continue to miss it. And even though your intentions are good, the execution is always going to be poor in that regard. So I think now they've been trying, you know, I think overly trying because of their flaws in the past. So that's something that we have been, we've been a lot, I guess, impressed by in the sense, but it's still, it always comes off as a little too late in some of these situations, but regardless of the fact, man, we're just glad that now they are including a lot more voices. They are dealing with a lot more of the minorities in particular, and then even including us, uh, what they call, I guess, legends or alumni or however you want to re uh, refer to it in the NFL, us retired folk. <laughs> um, Mr. Bourne mentioned, um, you know, now is, is time to listen. Samaj and Nikki, when you all talk to your uh, teammates and maybe even student athletes from other teams. Do you all talk about wanting to be involved in the decision-making processes for JMU and ways to support student athletes given the current political climate? Actually, um, yes, actually, right now um, I made us. We have a small group right now, just um, football players right now, and we plan to keep talking about the social injustice that's going on in society today, and we plan to branch out and reach out to other um, athletic groups eventually. Right now, it's just like seven, eight of us, and we put in there, oh, how can we help our communities? Like, because right now we're all separated. Like, some of us are in Jersey, some of us are in Virginia, some of us are back home. So we all talk about, well, how can we help each other in our own individual um, states and stuff? So, like, I would like to bring that back to JMU and eventually, like, you know, talk to the coaches and talk to, you know, Jeff Bourne and see other uh, parts of the board where we can get, like, that big, cohesive group where athletics that would like to have still have conversations at this magnitude where we can talk about other things that we can probably better JMU with and just fix our, like, um, the social injustice that's going on in society today. So, yeah, that's right now. It's right now as a small group, but we, we plan to um, keep it going into JMU. Yeah, I um, I brought up the idea in, I'm the SAC rep for, for my team, and I brought up the idea to um, create a committee for diversity and inclusion. You know, we have uh, the 
like event management and legislative branch and all that stuff. But I thought that if we have a diversity and inclusion branch on of it, um, that can bring in people to speak to all of the athletes, or we can do workshops or something, so that um, athletes from different backgrounds can learn about each other and see where they came from. Because I, um, not all all sports, you know, interact with each other. So we all have locker rooms in different buildings or whatever. Um, so I think that that would be really cool to just um, hear other people's experiences, and and that helps us understand each other better. To those of you, this, this comes in from Facebook Live. Um, I don't know if I have to say live every time. I have such little experience with Facebook. Um, to those of you that are parents, um, what types of conversations are you having with your children about the current climate that we live in? Uh, we as a nation are dealing with complex problems and, and believe um, parent voices um, be an important voice to be heard. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what comes in from Facebook. Uh, I guess I'll go first, man. Um, I have three children. Obviously, I have a 12-year-old, seven-year-old, and a five-year-old. And for me, man, it's been a very educational process right now in terms of my oldest, who, like I said, is very aware of everything that's going on and the questions that she's asking, being able to explain to her the situation, explain to her in different ways how she can use her voice, explain some of the conversations that she should have with her friends. With, and I mean, cause she goes to a school that's predominantly white. So just her being able to understand how those interactions will go and then being able to share some of my personal experiences when I was her age, some of the things that I was experiencing and seeing that hopefully she would never have to see. I think that, I mean, that part of this thing has been beneficial because it's been able to educate her so much more and educate her on the history of just America in general. I mean, you talk about the Confederate flag a little bit and the history of that. I mean, being able to educate her on that was huge. Being able to educate her on some of the things that were going on from a civil rights movement standpoint and how even though we've made strides, we still find ourselves dealing with some of the same issues. And then for my middle girl, I mean, her being able to just see, I mean, asking questions like, am I going to end up like some of these uh, minorities who have been killed and, and wrongfully and, and things like that, just being able to communicate some of the situations and let her know that, no, it's not going to happen to you. I mean, if, if I can do my part in this thing and continue to uh, move this conversation forward and continue to have an impact, no, hopefully this will never happen to you or any of your friends. So that's kind of how I've handled it as being a parent through this situation right now. I have two kids. I have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. And, you know, we've had conversations pretty much all their lives about what's going on and, and what they're facing and what they may face and how to prepare for it. Um, I took the kids to um, this past summer. We went, not th this summer, but the summer before, um, to the museums in D.C. We went to the African-American Museum and we went to the Holocaust Museum. So they've seen um, how hate can really destroy society. And with that, they are very passionate. And when I say the younger kids are passionate, my kids are very passionate. And they aren't willing to, to accept anything less than basic humanity. Mom, why, is, why aren't we all being treated equally? Why, why can't people see that? Why people aren't given basic human rights? And because of that passion, they're not going to accept anything less. And I think that's what we're seeing now, especially with this current generation of, of um, student athletes that are in. They're not, ex they won't accept anything less. This is what our standard is, and this is what we're going to accept. 
Um, so my children have had this, these types of conversations at a young age. They've been called names when they started school, when kids start to first see color. Um, my daughter's color was pointed out to her in a very derogatory way. And she's gone to two schools and then each school has been pointed out to her. So we've had conversations for a while. Um, and I've had conversations with my son because my son, my kids are biracial and my son is extremely light. And I said, son, you may have people who think that you're not black and they may say things around you and you're going to have to be prepared for that. So my, I've had the talk with my kids for a long time. So they understand that the world isn't as great as we sometimes portray it to be. But I am very positive right now with them because in the beginning of all this, a few weeks ago, when they see me as looking at the news with tears in my eyes and trying to understand, mom, why are you hurting? And I have to explain to them, this is why, but mommy also sees a positive change happening. There's a paradigm shift that's happening within our society and acceptance and tolerance. And with that shift, I'm feeling more and more positive. And they are seeing that because again, we had these conversations where they're younger and now we're having conversations towards more of a positive change. And they're part of that shift as well. And saying that, see mom, I knew it. I knew that we're all equal. I knew we all should be treated equal. And it's given them a more of an affirmation of that. So I think what we're seeing now, and um, Nikki and Samaj, please jump in, but you guys are have a passion and your tolerance level and your acceptance level is a lot um, lower and higher than let's say it was for me when I was your age. Um, yeah, just to jump in, I don't have, have no kids, but like just to jump in, um, I have a little nephew that I really care about. He's 12 years old. and. Um, just the other day, I was playing with him with, like, Nerf guns. You know, we were shooting darts around the house and everything. And, you know, it, it broke my heart. I had to tell him, like, hey, don't don't go outside and play with these guns. Like, you know, even if they're just toys because, you know, Tamir Rice, that guy in, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, got shot immediately because somebody called and said he had a gun, but it was a toy. So it, it, it hurts that I had to tell You know, he's looking at me like, why can't I go outside and play? You know, he's just a little kid, 12 years old. He's the same age as Tamir Rice. And, like, to tell him that, like, that's the crazy part of society. But, like, to add on what you said, Tal, like, yeah, um, there is a brighter side. There's a lot more things that are going on in the world right now that's getting better. It's getting brighter. Because, like, if all you think and believe is evil, that's all you're going to see in the world. You have to be able to open your mind and see the positivity, see the changes, see the things that's folding and all the chains that are breaking, all the changes that are being made. And, like, eventually one day I won't have to tell, hopefully my kids in the future, I don't have to tell them, hey, don't go outside and play with Nerf guns because I, I don't know who's going to call you know, the cops, and they, I don't know what they're going to say, and I, I just, you know, I don't want, I don't want to do, go through that, but as of right now, today, in today's age, I got to tell my little cousin, my little nephew, don't don't go outside with Nerf guns, because I, I don't want another Tamir Rice story of, like, you know, just a kid outside playing with toys, and then he just gets shot immediately, so right now, until we get that full-blown change what's going on right now, just keep in mind, like, this is the life, and, like, this is the things that we go through as, you know, Black people, as Black people in the community, that we have to tell our kids is that we have to show them the side, like, why are we crying? Why are we upset? Because this is something that's in reality. And I don't want that reality to be their reality, like, many years down the line, because, you know, segregation ended in 19, what, 1968, 1969, we're still going through all this in 2020. So it's just, just keep our foot on the gas and keep moving it. And hopefully the change will come fully, full circle. Well, I have three children, two adult children and, uh, a teenager who will turn 16 next month. Um, and I'm a firm believer that racism is taught. You watch children together, 
I have yet to see two children playing that worry about color. They accept the individual with kind hearts, open arms, and an appreciation for what that playmate is adding to their life. And that's smiles and fun. Um, probably watching my daughters, I know wholeheartedly they have great hearts. They are beautiful, not only outside, but inside and are struggling with what's going on. You know, this is not a society. We have a grandchild now. We don't want our grandson in an age of confrontation. We want them to be in an age in which we appreciate inclusivity and just our differences and embrace that. Uh, my son is on the autism spectrum and that has a whole different perspective. Um, he's very high functioning, but a lot of times he has an awful lot of questions and uh, asks very, what should be simple answers that are very, very hard answers because of the nature of the situation and because he has a kind heart and he doesn't understand why someone would treat someone else the way that you've seen people treated. And he asks, he doesn't understand names that people are called. He said, I've never heard that name before. Why are people calling it? Is that a good name? Is that a bad name? Is what we have to label it. So it, it's, it's required a lot of education on his part, on my part. Um, and I'm hoping that I'm creating the next generation, like Samaj is talking about in terms of his nephew, where they're gonna be playing together. They're going to be living in a society where color is irrelevant. We don't even think about it. That we live in a peaceful society where we together we're working for good things. Arthur, oh, go ahead, Jeff. I was just gonna echo what Roger said. I mean, I think Roger said he was the oldest one here. He's not the oldest by very much if he is. Uh, I'm right there with him, but we raised two sons and we're blessed to have both those boys raised in and around intercollegiate athletics and participate in sport. And the blessing of that was your teammates, there were no differences. You were, you were together, you know, whether they were brown kids or black kids, whatever it was, they were there as a team and they were there as one. And so I'm very, we feel very blessed to have been around that um, structure growing up for them and that environment. And now that I have a grandson, like, like Roger, mine's four months old, I hope and I pray every night that he grows up in a society that finally can get over this hump and, and see things the way they should be. And you hope that for them because, you know, we've, again, heard it just mentioned a minute ago, we, we've, we've been at this now since, you know, probably early 60s trying to make change and we still haven't gotten there. And we have got to make the commitment, not just as a, you know, part of a society, but all of us that, that we're going to do, we're going to do the right thing and get to a great place with this. So. I would agree with what he said. The, um, earlier it was mentioned, Arthur, you talked about sort of feeling like when you were involved in governance decisions that, that a box was being checked. Um, Mr. Bourne has talked about wanting to listen. The student athletes have talked about wanting to be part of the decision-making process. How do we create a system here at JMU, uh, Samaj and Nikki, where your voices and the voices of your teammates 
make a meaningful difference in policies in a way that, that, that you don't have that feeling that Arthur shared, where you felt like a, a box, and Arthur, I think that's how you described it, a box was being checked. Um, how, how do we get to meaningful participation to where decision-making actually reflects the voices um, that are coming in and is reacting to that? Um, I think that, I guess, that it can't be performative. It has to be genuine and the athletes have to be heard and it can't just like die off, you know, when, when, when school starts or after a year or, or whatever, we have to continue to like um, apply pressure and, and keep, keep everyone knowing that, that this isn't going to end soon. You know, it's going to take a while and, and we have to keep fighting and keep, um, and keep striving for change until, un until we get there, even if it's, if it's that not, in, in, in not for like a long time. Yeah, and um, just to add to that, I think we should have some form of like athletic, like, you know, parliament, just add like a social government that's made up of athletic students. I know JMU already has like an educational board where we, you know, we elect a president, a treasurer, this and that. But maybe if we have some form for athletes that we can have a president where we talk about injustice and we have like the secretaries and all the other people that come together, that way you can come to us and see how we feel about decisions that are being made that literally affect us. Instead of just treating us as like some form of indentured servant where we get, okay, we get the scholarships, we get the benefits, this and that, but at the same time, we really don't actually reap anything that we sow from the school. So if you really want to care for us as a whole, let us have some form of like overall, you know, parliament, we get together, have a society, and we can even like, you know, check some balance. We can check each other. Oh, you propose this, you propose that, and then we can just vote on it. And just that way it can be more of an equal sub, you know, society where we feel like we're being more involved. We feel like we're being heard. And we feel like it's just not performative. It feels like we're actually taking that action that you want, that you that we want for sure. And that I know that you guys can give us. So like just maybe look into that where we just, you know, we can we can vote on, you know, a student athlete president, vice president, treasurer, the secretaries, and have a group where everybody can, student athletes can have an open ballot and and they can pull in different types of ideas that they want us to push towards, you know, the athletic administration. And we can even communicate with all the other boards. There's many there's many presidents and vice presidents all around, you know. There's, you know, you have the Black Student Alliance, you have the Women of Color, you have the Shades of Pride. There's many other groups out there that, that have their own committees and we can all come together. They can all pass their votes, we can all talk to their leaders. And when we come together as a whole, we have that whole cohesiveness as a whole together for JMU and we can paint a big, bigger picture together that shows that we're against social injustice and we can we can show that we we are one and like everybody like I was always taught you know my first two years coming in with the old coach staff you know he was always told your last name is JMU so we're really gonna rep represent JMU let's all be held accountable and all be held at an equal level and not just have these stepping stones where oh it might go to them and it might not go to them let's all just open the door and keep it open and we'll be able to be better as a society as a whole. I'm hearing the athletes say they want to be a part of the conversations. They want to be a part of the process. And I think that's the key. That's a that's an important point. And there just needs to be kind of a pipeline that allows them to do that, a conduit, if you will, from the athletes to administration where their voices can be heard. Yeah, so um, I know at the NFL level, obviously it's a little bit different because we were able to have a union and things like that. And at the collegiate level, y'all don't have that. 
but something that we created outside of our union was what we call the Players Coalition. And initially it started with just football players. And this was around the time with Kaepernick because we still wanted to have our voice heard. We still wanted to be able to come to the table when some of these decisions were being made. And from there, we were able to get some things changed in terms of the funding that they supported us with for certain causes in the social justice and reform uh, uh, spectrum. But from there, we branched out and made it bigger than the NFL. And now when you look at the Players Coalition, I mean, it includes coaches, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, different MLB players, uh, basketball players as well. And we were a part of um, a group that actually sent the letter up to Congress uh, just trying to get rid of, um, it's, it's called qualified immunity, but different things that we've been trying to do at the different levels of government all started because of all of us being able to use our voice together. And when you're talking about um, Samaj in terms of starting some type of group or some type of union like that at the, the, the collegiate level, you think about the fact that you have you right here and Nikki right there, that's two different sports, that's two different powerful groups that could get together and easily start to branch out and start to have more of a voice being heard cohesively as well. We are down to three minutes. Uh, I, I can't believe how fast this conversation has gone. And again, I wanna reiterate how, um, how grateful we are to all of our panelists for joining this conversation. Um, and, and to those of you watching on, on Facebook, thank you for joining this conversation. I think what I would love to do is, is go around um, my, my colleague, Lori Britt in, in the School of Communications taught me about how do we how do we move conversation to action? And she said, well, what are you going to do in five minutes? What are you going to do in five days? And what do you hope to see in five months? And so this conversation is going to end in three minutes. If all of us on this call make a commitment to say, okay, how do we turn conversation into action? What is something that each of you can do in five minutes from now, even if it's just to arrange a meeting with somebody that you haven't met with yet, to try to move this towards creating a more inclusive and just society? What is something each of you can do five minutes after we end today to move towards action? I would be completely open to talking with Samaj more about the, um, the this like union and and players uh players committee so that we can be a, a voice to administration from there so um i would say i would say that yeah i, I definitely would just you know advocate for more you know i should probably try to make a banner or something like you know all student athletes as well and try to get on this union board or this coalition like who's willing to step you know stand up and stand out against you know social injustice and other inequalities that we have at, you know, in here in, you know, JMU, Harrisonburg, and just all over the country as student athletes, because we're more than just athletes. So I would love to just get together, you know, people my age and just see what we can do with that and go from there. Yeah, for me, man, I'm going to be looking into um, finding some more organizations, not only in the Pittsburgh area, but in the Harrisonburg area that focuses on social justice, focuses on the, the educational element from the police and community relations department and just ultimately try to find ways to be more impactful in those uh, areas. I'm gonna extend myself, not just to this panel where you guys can reach out to me as needed, but also to the community that's listening, please reach out to me and let me know how we can help within the community itself to just push a bigger voice. 
and I'm going to make sure our student athletes have a voice directly to the president because that's who appoints me to this particular position so that he not only hears what's happening tonight, but I can carry messages from our student coalition and groups directly to him and arrange meetings between the coalition and the president, if possible. First thing I'm going to do is make some good notes from what I've heard tonight from some great people on this panel. That's going to happen in five minutes. But beyond that, I'm going to remain diligent to the task and make sure that we schedule these meetings with the student athletes and the coaches and we start this journey together because I'm excited for what we can do. And I, I look forward to working with them. Kara, what can you do in five minutes? So many things. <laughs> the first will be to prepare this recording so that we can distribute it more broadly. And, and, and Roger, you can share it with President Alger. Um, but especially to Nikki and Samaj, please know that I am here for you and be happy to help with facilitating um, and, and connecting with other students and, and athletes and, and anything you all need. Um, Nikki, my ears perked up when you were talking about elections, and that's, of course, something that we care deeply about um, as a front door um, into deeper work. Um, elections are, of course, just one way, and I love this idea of a, of a players coalition. So please let me know if there's any way that we can continue to support that. And in five minutes, I am going to um, send a quick message to my colleague, and I would now like to call her a friend, Meredith Crawford, who works in the athletic department, and say, hey, did you see that? Thank you so much for bringing this group together. Did you hear how the students talked about voting and thinking about different ways in which they can participate in governance? Let us partner with you. Thank you all so much. Let's keep the conversation podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson, our communications specialist at JMU Civic and a graduate of the School of Media Arts and Design with a concentration in journalism. Our digital guru, Randy Budnickus, director of digital marketing at JMU, helps us with syndication. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about JMU Civic at jmu.edu slash civic. Until next time.